do the other Okay, thing. remind me which one's that. Is the review show where we talk about everything? No, the showcase is where we talk about everything and things in general. All oh, right, okay, yeah. So if you've got that text about the outer limits and skimming through the... Oh, right, yes, yeah. I noticed they started repeating the Saints Thursday. Um, oh, right, repeats of repeats. So this is a repeat of The Talented Husband, the first one, where he takes... Oh, right, wow, okay. Where he takes the the wig off in the mirror, and it's like that <laughs> moment in the wrong trousers. But it's you. <laughs> <gasps> so uh, listeners will get the chance to enjoy that again. Excellent. Or if they missed it, it's that sort mm. of thing. Where Shirley Eaton turns up as a glamorous insurance agent who doesn't seem to do much uh, <laughs> except look glamorous. I think she cooks him dinner. Or does he cook her dinner? No, she cooks him dinner, I think. But, you know, the early 60s, different times. Hello and welcome to episode six of Rose Tinted Black and White Television with my co-host Dave Newell. Hello. This is where we ramble about programmes in the golden age of television. That's the British golden age because the American golden age is actually 10 years earlier. But the British golden age of black and white television which I'm saying is 1956 to 1974, from Suez to the three-day week. And all the wonderful sophistication that was on our screens is very aspirational, I think. Plus, there is a quiz. Dave, just tell me whether you can hear this. I can hear that. Jolly good. Right. Because I promised listeners that I would be subjecting you to a small quiz we'll make this these quizzes occasional but i just thought that you might like to take the opportunity to identify these theme tunes okay to flex my brain mind right are you ready all right we're doing it now okay yeah yeah yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do it now Is is that no? Is that Secret Agent or that early um, Danger Man? Yes, it is. Better oh. known for. <laughs> It's uh, written by Edwin Astley. The first tune, this is when it was half an hour or, you know, a commercial half hour, 25 minutes or whatever, when he worked for NATO and he had a mid-Atlantic accent, but he was still called Tom Drake. More familiar version of Danger Man. Again, written by Edwin Astley and it's called, let's have a look, um... I think it's called High Wire. We will also talk later on about um, the almost excessive use of harpsichords in TV theme tunes. Um, Very popular. Very popular. Did an undervalued um, kind of like musical instrument. I don't think there's enough songs nowadays that have a whip cracked in them, you know, like like Rawhide or, uh, or Blazing Saddles. I think some chart hits would benefit from that. Gets your attention right away. It does. I'm trying to think who... 
might be perhaps Kylie Minogue might like to revive her career with a yeah might, uh, 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 might have a go at that little Ed Sheeran squash fox he might have a go <laughs> um so that was uh the two versions of secret agent slash danger man I think it was called secret agent in uh, the United States but over here it was danger man and it enlivened many a Sunday afternoon in my childhood and there was a vocal version of it called Secret Agent Man. There is and there's a belting version that my friend Andy Fern from Finland um, once sent me um, which is Hombre Secreto um, which is a Spanish version of it and it's blistering Right. If you get a chance to listen to it. I shall have a look out for that. But well done for that arcane piece of knowledge. It's um, <laughs> the original theme from Danger Man from 1961 uh, by the Red Price Combo. Uh, so it's the main theme used in the first series. Parlophone, 45 revolutions per minute. And... <laughs> The number is 4789 I've got here. For anyone who wants to track it down, uh, you can find it on YouTube. and you can find it all on YouTube. So, you're playing a blinder at the moment. Like one, one out of one. I, maybe I <laughs> should rest now. Take it off. Yeah. So, the next clip, see if you know this one. I don't know. It sounds like sports night that used to go out on a Wednesday, but I'm sure it isn't. No. Studio-based. Okay. Now, what do you know about me in certain early studio-based... All right. Is it is it um, police surgeon squad? No. <laughs> Sergeant Cork. <laughs> I've played you, Sergeant Cork. You ought to know that one. <laughs> this is the original Avengers theme by Johnny Dankworth. <gasps> Johnny. And um, as opposed to this one. Still sends tingles down your spine, yeah. that one. Um, yes, Laurie Johnson's theme, The Shake, it was originally called. I think he'd, okay. I think he'd written it before uh, he was asked to do The Avengers because Johnny Dankworth was so damn busy. Uh, he just didn't know the time. Misses. They're just walking from place to place, just recording stuff. and Because uh, um, he does um, music for uh, Modesty Blaze, he does does the music for and he also helped out on um cleo lane's um cool jazz interpretation of speeches from shakespeare plays as well oh yes but then again 
it would have been hard not to when she asked and being yeah, married. Absolutely. Once all. she starts, once she starts, Dame Cleo, there's no stopping her. So that's one all. <laughs> I'm very impressed by the secret agent danger man catch. But that when Honor Blackman left us, they did an obit on Radio 4. And of course, the theme that they played mm. was the wrong one because she'd never actually, <sighs> she'd never actually been in uh, a show with that music. She was with always, that theme tune. That theme tune was Ian Hendry, Venus Smith. Um, okay. Like, Played by Julie Stevens from Play School. Venus Smith, very interesting character. She's actually two different characters with the same name for her last three appearances. It completely changed the character. The first three. Right. She's quite a brassy nightclub singer. Who I I prefer that one. And then in the last three, she's this kind of young, rather ditzy girl, rather a bit like um, uh, Juliet Harmer's character in Adam Adamant. Okay. Uh, but she was only contracted to do six, so that, that was it. She never expected uh, there to be a follow-on from that, and Honor Blackman took over. Round about the same time as that appearance in The Saint. The Arrow of God. Oh, right, yes. And then everything took off, and the legend of the Avengers was born. We'll come to reviewing the latest episode that we've seen, The Golden Journey. Oh, right, uh, yes. In, in the review show. But um, without putting any plot spoilers in, because it's gone out, they admit that it's Taming of the Shrew. Simon Templer does Taming of the Shrew. So I was thinking, the Taming of the Shrew thing probably goes all the way back to... Goes back to the Taming of the Shrew. <laughs> yes, but I mean, on screen... Um, which I was in, which I was in at, uh, at dramatic school. Oh, right, what did you play? I played um, uh, the lecherous um, older suitor. Um, is it? Oh, I always got them two mixed up because they've both got similar names. Is it Grumio or Gremio? One of those, anyway. Uh, I was bent double and had a fake beard. Well, on screen, it probably goes back to the silent era, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that Clark Gable must have been in something similar. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good, it's a good plot, I suppose. You know, in a, in a way, you could say it's it's very similar to. Um, it happened one night, you know, where you've got um, two people who are totally at odds with one another. Um, and and by the end, it's it's all good. It's all kind of worked out. But yeah, Taming is true, you know, as a as a jumping off point. You know, it's a cracking starting point. Preferably without the violence. But I kind of wondered about the more recent ones, which was the trope of the sophisticated pampered woman who discovers inner resources, romancing the stone. Crocodile Dundee. Romancing Stone, um, Overboard, in which Goldie Horn, um, as a spoiled heiress, gets wooed by blue-collar Kurt Russell and his kids. Uh, so, yes, it is It is that idea of, you know, are they kowtowing to patriarchal norms? Are they no longer um, the independent person they are? Apparently the same is true of The Lost City. It's currently out on cinema release at the moment. Sandra Bullock and, and Channing Tatum. Six Days and Seven Nights. Similar kind of setup. Probably the same set. Same shirts. Um, with Ford and Anna Hesch. Where it, it's someone who is won over by a grumpy old individual. Harrison Ford playing a grumpy old man is... Yeah, big stretch. <laughs> but can you think of anything similar that would work the other way? 
Usually when a man is changed by a woman, it's to get in touch with his touchy-feely side, isn't it? Yes, becomes a better person. They're no longer the the horrible one that they used to be. I suppose uh, a good example of that is the family guy with with Nicolas Cage, um, where he's a, you know, he's a big city business broker and he's doing all the horrible things i'm making his staff work on on christmas eve and thanks to to the magical intervention of don cheadle um and then he begins to realize that you know maybe his life as a you know a big wall street power player power broker was all a bit empty and now he's got kids and he's got tia leone um as his as his wife and he works at a local tire depot uh, and it's all good for him it's a Groundhog Day. It's not actually a woman who's showing the way, but it's Bill Murray winding up in a loop and then learning something mm. about him, which is kind of, they're all kind of remakes of Scrooge, I suppose, aren't they? Destiny, James Belushi. Um, he kind of goes through a big learning curve where um, the um, the angel is Michael Caine, in this case, turning up in a variety of guises. Um, to point out that maybe if um, James Belushi had done one tiny thing, which is actually hit a baseball while he was at school, um, his whole life would have turned out differently. Just always cropped up everywhere. He's he's one of the workers at the, at the plant. He's a taxi driver, like I said. He's a bartender. He just keeps popping up every once in a while to, to keep things chugging along. Yeah, uh, I suppose a bit like a wonderful life as well. I mean, they're all kind of yes. the, the, those sliding door moments, the path not taken. Yeah, that opportunity, you know, can I, la- can I lead um, a better life? Um, not just for me, but for just people around me and for other people. Let's have a look at what you could have won, as Jim Bowen used to say. And maybe if you did a British version of it, maybe that, that'd be, it'd have like the ghost of Jim Bowen. Say, just say, let's have a look at what you could have won. And then they see their life about what they could have, what they could have won. Oh, so Dickensian. Right, that kind of deals with the, the generics of that idea of the attainment of the shrew, um, which, of course, is Shakespeare. And one of the things mm-hmm. that I've noticed is that when writers need inspiration, they default to Shakespeare uh, Go in, back to the bar. As in the case in the Bellarose Shield in The Outer Limits, where Sally Kellerman... She does a lot of what we used to call at drama school, miming um, in that, because at one point she is caught in the, the titular shield, which, which is a suspect's cage to keep her in. And then towards the end, spoiler alert, the cage itself appears to disappear, appears to vanish... But she seems to believe it's still there and she's doing loads of flat handing where she's just as if she's feeling out of space. It's like that thing of pretending to push a big box along that's got a piano in it or something like that. And all of a sudden, oh, no, I can't get out. Can't get out. Yes, David Bowie did that in the um, Spiders from Mars tour, didn't he? Mm. He had a whole term devoted to it, must admit. Uh, did you have to put a white face on and dress in a stripy jumper? We did, yeah, because one of our one of our lecturers was uh, John Wright, who was behind like Trestle Theatre Company and Told by an Idiot. And so, yeah, we used to have to do like um, mask work and we had to pronounce it with a long A because we were in London. And we would do, yeah, you would you would have this like this blank mask on and, and you'd do all your, you know, I'm, I'm this character or I'm a, I'm a, I'm a featureless character. Therefore, I'm going to have to use my body as tools of, of communication because I've got my face. Just the kind of stuff you need 
um, for a later career playing extras in the bill um, and EastEnders. Yes, there's no facial expression required there at all. Uh, I mentioned that bit in connection with Shakespeare because, I mean, she's Lady Macbeth, isn't she? She is, yes. Um, as as Julie Walters' character says in Educating Rita, oh, uh, um, Macbeth was great here. Wasn't his wife a cow? And the idea is that she's too ambitious, resonates with that, with that Macbeth-type feeling. And Martin Lando, on his second appearance in that season... Yep. Well, of course, he's got a thing going on with his father. Never Commissioner Gordon. <laughs> oh, right, that's where I'd seen him. Anyway, he'd never been able to please his father. And yet another alien, because I've, I've been looking at the various themes that you, you get in oh, right, The Outer yeah. Limits. It includes an inventor or a scientist yeah. tinkering with time and space, making contact with an alien... Uh, and it all goes horribly wrong, especially for the alien. Just, yeah, just leave well alone. Just forget about it. We had this with Cliff Robertson in Galaxy Being, which was the, the first one I remember seeing. The Bellero Shield, usually it involves projecting something into space and then the aliens getting in touch. You've also got duplicitous aliens. Is there any other kind? Well, some of them turn out to be sort of reasonably benign but duplicitous aliens the xanti misfits if you remember they actually well, turn out now, to be yeah they're horrible now the xanti misfits the, the arrangement there is that they've contacted us contacted the military say all right can we kind of like offload um a big bunch of um ne'er-do-wells wrongans from our civilization from our planet um really the u.s military should have just left that call to picked up by the answer phone and then don't get back to them because you know it's not going to end well and it doesn't particularly for bruce dern no. spoiler alert all for the special effects department actually mm. <laughs> human style eyes but they've all got six or eight legs or whatever it is and there's a whole mm. thing where they, they come down the side of a house on fishing line which is to save on the the stop motion um what else have we got oh the mice where aliens yeah. want to swap a human for so everyone can get to know each other and then they send this creature to basically scout out the earth now i don't know what evolutionary processes there are on extraterrestrial planets but they seem to have been extraordinarily bizarre basically you've got something i'm not even sure it's got feet it looks like a lot of cellophane and a bean bag Covered in candy floss. I mean, one of the things about The Outer Limits, I remember when they played it on BBC Two back in my student days, I thought, oh, this, mm. is, this is great. And actually, <laughs> you get these, there's one maybe coming up in the second series called The Mutant, where this guy just has comedy poached eggs as eyes. And he's like, <sighs> really? There's, there's a lot of rubbish Halloween masks employed in the outer in the, in the sixth finger um where david mccallum as a welsh miner called gwilym griffiths and um he falls in line with one of these experiments by a guy in a white coat who says oh i'm gonna mess with time and space if that's all right um and he turns into this like this big-headed alien and about the halfway point there's bits where and i'm not joking when i say this he looks unnervingly like Ant from Ant and Deck. 
it's it's quite chilling dave mccallum's head gets bigger and bigger and he he reads loads of books really quick and he goes all callous and cold-hearted and uh, jill howarth who's like the maid who delivers like bacon and milk to the place kind of like wins his heart over and it, it's one of those which almost has a happy ending you know where where things are kind of like reset back to normal oh. uh, but yeah yeah it looks like uh looks like ant really yeah quite terrifying the sixth finger that one is i'm surprised about the prosthetics i presume they hadn't got the budget because even in the original star trek series things were better it's a couple of years later you know um and, and i guess you know the out the outer limits may have had a, a a little bit of a tight budget although you know you've got loads of kind of like emerging stars um coming through technically you know you've got conrad hall as the as the cinematographer and he went on to work on like butch cassidy and the sundance kid road to perdition american beauty marathon man um and that was one of his kind of like early gigs photographing people with candy floss on their head or like big rubbery heads early days it's a job isn't it it has to be said um what else have we got uh body snatchers 100 days of the dragon 100 days of the dragon i love 100 days of the dragon are you aware of the avengers connection Oh, right. I don't know. Was Sidney Blackmer, old wet lips, as my dad used to call him, um, was he in, Was he wouldn't be in, in an episode of The Avengers, would it? Or is, um, oh, wait a minute, is it from, from the Oriental actor's side? Because as we were saying the other week, there was only a limited pool to draw from. No, it's <sighs> letters were exchanged between the producers of The Outer Limits and the producers of The Avengers because it's a Tyra King episode called They Keep Killing Steed, when they use an identical device to reproduce Patrick McNee in various guises, oh, right. allowing Patrick McNee to be evil and then get his oh, comeuppance. Right. It's also the first appearance of, and only appearance, of Ian Ogilvie. Okay, uh, yeah. In, in The Avengers, where he plays a German count who appears to own an English hotel where... Uh, an international conference is being staged because that was always happening in the 60s. Body Snatchers, The Invisibles, which also fits into another trope of loners who are recruited to do something, preferably to save the earth, but can they be trusted? Oh, right. Usually, yeah, they'll say, all right, we're going to operate on you and turn you into like a big lobster being, or we're going to put like an alien crab on your back. Yeah, there seemed to be loads, loads of those. There was one the other week with Don Gordon, where he was he was going through that kind of ignominy. So there are kind of returning themes. I think a lot of paranoia about invasion, and as you might expect from late fifties, early sixties, when the threat of nuclear Armageddon was hanging over us. Oh, thank goodness we don't have those worries nowadays. No, no, that's all behind us. Shall I also reveal my true crime drama as well? Okay. With the outer outer limits. Now, um, I was mentioning before um, 100 Days of the Dragon, and I really like the music to 100 Days of the Dragon. And one of the associate producers and the composer for a lot of the music um, was um, the composer and conductor Dominic Frontier, who did the music for, amongst others, The Stuntman, um, and Freebie and the Bean, and the Bruce Willis film Colour of Night, um, amongst others. But 
way back in 1980 when he was married um, to one of the co-owners of the LA Rams. Uh, he ended up doing a year and a day in the pokey um, for flogging dodgy tickets for the Super Bowl final for 1980. Um and it wasn't like a one-off like a couple we're talking it was fifteen thousand. he um he he flogged uh and obviously super bowl it's it's you know it's it's a it's a milestone in sport and and tv and you commit any crime against you're not going to get away with it it's practically treason isn't it it is um and you know what the lovely circular nature of this is I mentioned that he'd done the music for um, Freebie and the Bean, the finale of which takes place at the Super Bowl. Oh, you'd have thought he'd have learnt his lesson. <laughs> Dominic, what are you doing, mate? Flogging your tickets. Well, thankfully, again, due to advancements in sophistication and technology, we would never have a major sporting event which would be hampered by fraudulent tickets. No, never going to happen. Not in our day. All disrupted by heavy-handed French police with tear gas. Oh, oh, no, no, that wouldn't happen, no. The spirit of 1968 all over again. Yeah. Right, of course, The Outer Limits, I think he's getting uh, repeated on um, Talking Pictures on Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights and also screens Friday at, Friday at 8, I believe. Which means that there's at least a couple of episodes you can catch up on there. Um, mm -hmm. Catch-up service. Talking Pictures TV Encore. Yes, TV Encore, yeah. They really ought to be sponsoring us. <laughs> us yeah, like really. It. I'm just waiting for the checks to start rolling in. Right. This has been episode six of Rose Tinted Black and White Television. It seems only like yesterday that we began. My co-host has been David Newell. I'm Guy Morgan. This has been a Soundstage North production. And don't forget our spin-off review show, which can be found on our SoundCloud channel, where we will waffle on about the latest saint, which is the Golden Journey. So tune into that and enjoy. <laughs>